Thomas is the administrator of the virtual reality program here at Hogue. What has really played a role in the successful rollout from a single specialty, um, let's say, experiment to a hospital-wide deployment that now brings so much clinical impact to patients everywhere? Well, I think from an administrative standpoint, what you need is a strong physician partner, someone who sees the vision of how this can impact clinical care. At Hogue, we're very invested in new technologies and bringing the latest investments to our community. And so when we saw what virtual reality can do in the surgical environment, we thought, well, what can we do on the medical side? And so with Dr. Lewis's guidance, uh, we looked across the VR continuum and said, well, mm. where can we apply these technologies? And of course, it was pain management, it was stress, it was anxiety. And so we looked across all our offerings and said, well, how are we going to deploy this? And so we found, obviously, inpatient care is one of the easiest ones to do. And so we rolled that out and we took informal measurements, but the reduction in stress and anxiety was so measurable and so impactful that the grateful patient stories we got saying they got us with dolphins, which they hadn't done in years, and it actually helped them sleep for the first time in three days was just so motivating for us to keep pushing VR in healthcare. Of course, then we decided, how can we get it beyond just the inpatient? You shouldn't have to come to the hospital to try VR. How can we get it to the community? And so what we looked at doing is, well, are there blended programs like chemical dependency? Do people who struggle with addiction can they use these technologies? So we deployed to our chemical dependency unit, which have patients come through certain portions of the day to help in their, their healthcare journey. And what we found is when they start to scale, when they start to get very antsy, instead of leaving or asking for a drug to help them calm down, we gave them a 20-minute session of virtual reality. And at the end of that 20 minutes, they were calmed down, their blood pressure lowered, and of course then they said, you know, I know I want to leave, I want to continue with my treatment. And so we saw the immediate impact on progressing to their healthcare journeys when otherwise they may have struggled through more traditional therapies. And, and from there, then we said, how are we going to go truly outside the hospital? And so we have a platform called Hogue at Home. And so we go visit patients who, who need care in their home environment, often unable to leave, but of course getting anxious and stressed and wanting to visit somewhere, anywhere besides the confines of their home. And so now we're taking the headsets directly to them and they can go escape to Paris, they can swim with the dolphins, they can do a breathing exercise, all completely taking them out of their environment for 20, 30 minutes. And once they do that, they're much more amenable to the therapies we're giving them. They're much more relaxed. They're, they're very engaged. They're uplifted. And honestly, they're looking to the next VR session. So we're seeing it across all different platforms, inpatient, blended, strictly outpatient, and now in the home environment, the power of VR. And so we're very excited for where this is going to go, and we feel like we're just scratching the surface. That's beautiful. Thank you for sharing that holistic view of how you've expanded slowly from the initial projects to really across the patient journey uh, with Hope. How do you help them discover some of these new ways of uh, care, like Hope at home or outpatient? What was some of the, the storytelling or um, uh, ways that you communicate this new technology? And what were some of the initial hesitations or feedback. So, so just to clarify, when we communicate to the department managers, executive directors of those various departments, if they want to use VR? Yes, and also for patients that are outpatient that, that are not here, how yes. do they discover that they can access the magic of So some of that is uh, inadvertent marketing. So okay. when we did, um, we deployed virtual reality during COVID, which Dr. Lewis mentioned, um, Forbes picked up an article right. and said how we're using it. And we weren't prepared for the amount of call volume that Amazing. came in. We should have told our call centers right. what, the, what would transpire. A lot of it's word of mouth, and a lot of it is our social media engagement. Hmm. But what we find is 
I think we had talked about, I listened to you and Dr. Lewis talk about when is VR going to be readily engaged by everyone, right. right? There's a moment where you don't quite know what it is until you experience it and then you're bought in. And so that's where word of mouth is super powerful. And we promote within our program. So it's when patients tell their patients, oh my gosh, I went to Hogue and I got a VR <laughs> headset right. and I got to do this and it helps so much. That's the moment is we need to create the awareness that you do need to experience it to understand it. We can talk about how great it is, we can show the results, but you've got you to show it. them. And we got to show them. Right. And it doesn't take much time to do it at all. I think the second you find a headset, you're transported. And so from an administrative side, from a hospital side, Dr. Lewis and I have worked diligently to show the effects, the reduction in pain, the anxiety, both on patients, but also on staff. We actually have it on our, our nursing floors to reduce um, stress. And so when they get worked out from a certain patient, they'll go and have 20 minutes of your headset and come out relieved. And of course, what does that mean for staff retention? Right, it keeps it. And that's the a, quality of care. The quality of care, right. Of we're that. not losing that knowledge out the door and we're keeping happier staff, which translates to better care. And it's just this amazing trickle-down effect. I'm sure it yeah. hasn't been easy, though, to get to this point of delivering and demonstrating all these value for staff or patients. What were some of the road bumps that you encounter and the complexities of rolling out uh, across the hospital? The first one is, I don't have time. Okay. Right? I don't have time to give a headset. I have too much going on in my day. Mm -hmm. And then how you get over that is, well, what if the patient doesn't distract you for 30 minutes? Oh, well, I want to try that then. Um, the other ones are, I can't figure it out. It's too hard to incorporate to my operations. How am I get to the home? How am I going to clean it? Right? And of course, you just have to work through those logistics and work with your infection prevention team so we follow hospital protocols. But ultimately, you can get through it. But really, it's, it's do I have time? The answer is yes. yes. You just don't know it yet. Right. And I don't know what impact it's going to have, but we're starting to show that. That's, that's amazing. Yeah. Let's talk a little bit about the commercial model. What type of um, revenue model does virtual reality care, uh, especially on the patient engagement side, deliver for the hospital? Well, you mentioned with Dr. Lewis the retention mm -hmm. rates for surgery. Right. So there's clear demonstrated value from showing a patient their journey and them choosing to stay with Dr. Lewis and Hogue Hospital. Yeah. There is not much of an outpatient revenue benefit yet other, side, other than patients want to come to Hogue for mm -hmm. the service, which includes virtual reality. But I would say there's no CPT codes uh, tied to the VR headsets yet. We are exploring concepts. That might be changing. That's changing very soon, and we expect it to. But we know this is an impactful technology, and we're willing to have the cost right now, knowing that in the future this is going to be embedded in every healthcare system throughout America. We right. know it's coming. Right. And so we're very excited to be on the forefront of that and to work with someone like Dr. Lewis and the Hogue administration team to keep pushing these forward. Um, but what we do see, going back to the inpatient units, even the outpatient chemical dependence units, if you can lower someone's pain score, and Dr. Lewis taught this to me over and over, from a, a six to a three, that's the difference between an opioid administration and a Tylenol administration, which is actually a significant cost savings, not just from an addiction standpoint, but from a physical cost savings to the hospital. What is the cost saving in this example? So let's say it's $30 a patient, right? And you multiply that across 30,000 inpatients. Now, not everyone's going to have is that. Is that 50% savings? Yes. 50%? Yeah. 50% saving for that particular drug. But there's other ways. If they're able to sleep better, if they, if they can eat more, if they're less stressed and they comply with their recovery program, do they discharge quicker? Mm. Does it open up a bed quicker? Mm. And of course, discharging someone lowers the cost of nursing um, of all the fluids that are administered. So we've seen this reduction in length of stay 
and we've seen this reduction in people leaving the programs in our outpatient programs that really demonstrate a significant value to Hogue. Now, a lot of it is you think intangible, but you can calculate it. And it's pretty significant. What about a fee-for-service type of revenue model? Is that a possibility to explore? It is. So Dr. Lewis mentioned uh, the, the cognitive assessments that are coming yeah. out. And so when you think of the vital aging programs across Orange County, now it has a fantastic one, Orange County Vital Aging Program. And the significant interest in making sure you can stay mentally and physically young, or if something is going awry, you get on top of it quickly. Well, how do you offer a program that offers both a physical and virtual reality assessment of those cognitive abilities? And so we don't have that model yet, but we're exploring, mm. you know, what does a package look like? And maybe it's not just for the senior population. Maybe it's for executives who want to make sure they're at the top of their game. Maybe it's for an up-and-coming professional who we notice stresses are having different impacts on their lives. And do they want to come get a, a wellness assessment or a physical mental assessment at Hogue? You know, what does that package look like? And, of course, that's cash pay rather than fee-for-service. Right. Well, a fee-for-service. Fee-for-service, that's right. Not right. commercially reimbursed. Right. But we think... If it is packaged correctly and we have the data to show, which Neovara is starting to show, it's going to be a significant attraction. And I think, again, another entryway into healthcare, another association with Hogue, and look at all these amazing, innovative ways of providing healthcare to our community. From your vantage point, um, what are the use case expansion path looking like? Now you have multiple use cases clinically, pain management, surgical training, um, also mental health, phobia side of things. What does that look like to adopt wider and wider use cases in this technology so that you achieve that critical mass for the same dollar invested uh, that it can really be used for the maximum clinical and patient outcome? Yeah, until the CPT code arrives, I. We're not sure what that revenue looks like, but what we are looking for is patient engagement, patient experience, and reputation. Okay. Right. And so if you think we can get into the home environment now and patients are excited to see it, well, and there's enough word of mouth that they want to see it, well, how do you do a mass distribution of headsets? What programs can you offer six-week sessions? So right. think about the uh, pain management application Dr. was just talking about, eight-week pain management, 10 minutes a day to reduce that. What else? Could you reduce? Could you improve wound care, anxiety, depression? Could you could you package these things not just with a VR headset, but with a virtual consult, or a virtual treatment at home followed by an in-person visit four weeks later? I think once you're able to scale on that level, you start to decentralize the need for facilities where patients have to drive to, and you start delivering care into the home environment at a scale that we believe we can achieve. And I think that's where we're going to look into next, is we know uh, neurology and the Neurosciences Institute has a massive outreach, but there's 3.2 million people in Orange County, and you can probably go beyond that when you can deploy headsets at that kind of scale. Right, and there are many startups that we invest in or we know in the ecosystem that are packaging these different solutions, vertical or specialty-specific, to patients at their home. This might be a naive question, but I wonder if hospitals like Hoke work with partners outside the system or you'd be innovating those models, delivery models here in-house. So there is. So I have a great interest in what the VA is doing. I know they've developed a lot of things. It seems to be very impactful for their population. And so I'd love to see what they're working on. Uh, Novant, I know over on the East Coast, has a lot of innovation as well. And, you know, credit to Walter Greenleaf, who's been great at facilitating um, connections. Knowledge but exchange. Knowledge exchange and also deployment and, and what works. And if we can crack the why should I try VR to I want to try VR, it will scale so rapidly we won't be able to keep up.
And I think that's a marketing tactic. What are some of the hurdles in front of you to yeah. see that pivotal moment happen from why should I use VR to I need this right now? So I, I think Dr. Lewis mentioned one, right? The quality of the content, right? If you know you're going and looking at a Disney-esque picture, you're more interested to try it. Um, the second one is I don't think the clinical impact is widely understood by the community, okay. right? There's been enough studies, but they're buried in bookshelves or not easily digestible uh, for the population. I think once they understand 10 minutes of a VR headset will impact you this amount, you might do it. So once we figure out the communication gap between the immense benefits of virtual reality and why they shouldn't try it on just for their, their illness, but also to improve their, their uh, wellness, I think it's gonna. I think it's gonna scale quickly. The other one is the cost and logistics of distribution. How do you send headsets around the country? Is it the use of an Amazon that's kind of cracked the supply chain? Um, you know, and what does it look like if they don't return the headsets? I think there's a huge cost impediment right now. And so, if you think for a, a healthcare system, I, I would say we have about 70, 80 health uh, VR headsets in deployment right now. How do you do that at a scale of? say 100,000 or 200,000? Is that a partnership or is that something you do internally? And I, I haven't seen that model cracked yet in the industry, in the VR industry. And so maybe that is a good partnership opportunity because if someone can facilitate the supply chain and healthcare can facilitate the medical implications of it, well then you start to have a really strong partnership.